Hi, this is Tom Field with Information Security Media Group. The topic today is GLBA compliance, and we're talking with Nathan Johns with the Risk Consulting Services of Crow Chiswick and Company, LLC. Nathan, thanks so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Nathan, just as an introduction, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and what you do with Crow Chiswick? Sure. Um, as you mentioned, I'm Nathan Johns with uh, Crow Chiswick. I'm an executive in our risk consulting um, practice. I primarily uh, do IT audits and consulting for um, financial institutions, um, primarily on uh, data information security and, and privacy type matters. Uh, prior to coming to Crow Chiswick, I was with the AIC for um, approximately 15 years, uh, with the last stop being in Washington, D.C., where I wrote um, a lot of the guidance pieces, including portions of Graham Leach Bliley, um, and all their exam procedures and training for their examiners at that time. Well, very appropriate to ask you about this then. What do you see as the current trends in GLBA compliance and examinations? As far as examinations go, um, Graham Leach Bliley has been in effect for for a number of years now, and so the examinations have gone through several cycles. So the examiners have a lot less patience or or tolerance for institutions that still haven't made significant progress in addressing Graham Leach Bliley. I guess kind of the adage is they're not looking at it as something that you the institution can come back with and say, well, we weren't aware of it or we don't understand it at this point. So they're looking at institutions to be beyond that and have made good faith efforts in really attempting to meet the part of, of Graham Leach Bliley, have programs in place. And, and, okay, the programs don't necessarily have to be perfect. They're a lot more tolerant if, if there's been the effort and there needs to be modifications or adjustments made to the programs. But they're looking for the programs to be in place, to be fairly mature, to at least have the different um, components that would make up a good um, Graham-Leach-Bliley program in place. They don't necessarily, if they're not perfect, they're not necessarily going to beat up an institution, but they're looking more for the effort. What would you say are the elements of, uh, of GLBA where you see the institutions continually being challenged now? There's a couple of different areas where um, we've noticed the institutions um, being challenged. Um, the first of which is just um, the changes within technology and the risk themselves, and uh, maintaining a program that's adaptable enough and, and um, updates itself on a frequent enough basis where it keeps up with those changes and, and the challenges. And, and the other areas where we see some challenges are, believe it or not, really less technical aspects of Gramm-Leach-Bliley. I mean, there's been studies that have been done out there about um, the different ways and the frequency with which information is compromised. And most of the studies come back and actually um, get a system getting hacked into is, is very low as far as a percentage of um, where the real risk is and where the real vulnerabilities and exploits have been taking place. More common is things like a lost laptop or a vendor losing information like backup tapes as they're being shipped or um, even paper files, somebody gaining access to them or, or paper files being lost. So it's, it's, it's somewhat less the technology components about like things like the firewall and the, and the perimeter security. Don't get me wrong, those are very important. But a lot of times it's, it's, it's about maintaining um, good controls over your vendors and what types of um, security do they have in place and 
how do you assure yourself that they have adequate security and controls over um, laptops and CDs and thumb drives and, and, and asking the question, should we encrypt them and, and how much would it take and how much effort and what tools to use on, on things like that, which are much more mobile and much more likely to get exposed to um, people outside the organization. So what I'm, I guess there's two, two ways to look at this. The good news is that people are doing a pretty good job um, at the perimeter, at the firewalls and all that to protect the organizations. The bad news is there's this whole other piece with, that involves things that are a lot more less under the control of the organization, such as vendors and mobile um, devices, such as laptops and, and, and thumb drives and things like that. Well, you make a good point there because I wanted to flip this around and ask where are institutions finding their successes, and it sounds like you see some areas where they're doing pretty well. Absolutely, and I think I think uh, going along with what I said, uh, I think that they really are doing a pretty good job of protecting the perimeter, even even in the light of um, the challenges of the technology changes and the um, threat changes that are um, new threats coming up um, more frequently than even daily. But they're doing a pretty good job of having programs that are dynamic that keep up with that. They get updated regularly, um, that that grow and change along with the cha- with the threats that they're facing. So I, I find that they're doing a better job on that um, than they are in some of the other um, areas, wh- which actually are leading to more, more of the compromises or more of the data um, breaches, such as the lost laptops or, or, or thumb drives or paper files and things like that. Now, Nathan, I'm thinking in terms of 501B as well and the types of things that institutions have to be mindful of with, you know, the board. Uh, development with with infra- information security program development vendor management you mentioned how do you find institutions are doing with the elements of, of 501b and what they're examined on I, I, you actually brought up a point um, or an area where I'm seeing mixed success um, a lot of institutions it still is being looked upon um, as that IT area and I think um, with some of the things I brought up it has to it becomes fairly clear that yeah, IT is an important piece of this, but it's an organization-wide um, responsibility. It requires training of employees across the organization to be mindful of what they're doing and their piece in this, and and protecting that laptop or protecting the final the paper files that they have. Um, so there is this whole training aspect. Even even the information technology piece of it requires training of the individuals make sure that they're locking their computers while they're away from them and, and items like that, to be aware of social engineering, giving what information they give out, the attempts that people make to gain um, information such as passwords so they can get to sensitive information and things like that. So training becomes a very important piece of it. As a, in addition, the other thing that you brought out as well um, with the board involvement, it's not just an IKEA issue. It, it's organizational-wide. So it's very important that this be driven from the top down and, and given that level of importance that they're aware of it, that they take it seriously, and that they expect the organization, not just the IT department, to handle this issue. Now, you're out among institutions now, and certainly you see the economic conditions that they're in. You know, they're already working on their identity theft, red flags, rule compliance, which in a lot of cases is an unbudgeted item. They don't have additional resources out there. How do you see institutions coping with their compliance issues where really they might have you know, fewer financial resources than they've had previously? I think that's an important um, point to bring out that, Really, Graham Leach Bliley emphasizes a risk-based approach, and it starts with a risk assessment. 
And a lot of times when we come in and help an organization through this process and think through this process, what they're identifying in the risk assessment is that they're spending a lot of time and effort on certain controls. And they may not necessarily be the controls that they're relying on the most. So they may spend a lot of time on, and I'll just use an example to make this a little more concrete. They may spend a lot of time and effort on um, an intrusion detection system, which is important. And it is a control, and it, and it is a valuable control and can give them good information. And they may test it fairly regularly. But they may, when in the risk assessment, they may find that there's other controls that they're relying upon more that they're not necessarily testing as much. So um, some of the risk-based approach of Bramley's Bio, and if they do a good job in the risk assessment, can show areas where they can cut back on testing or maybe even the expense on um, implementing a controller or a new technology by looking at all the other controls, all the other layers that are already in there, and seeing what they can leverage based upon the risk of that particular area. So in addition to highlighting areas that they may need to address further, it also can be the risk assessment process can be an area where they can say, we're, we're testing this far more than we have to for the amount of, that we're relying upon this control. And so that's one way in which they can kind of cut back in certain areas in the testing and potentially even in the investment in technology controls um, given the economic times. But without the risk assessment, it's very difficult for them to justify that to senior management or to um, regulatory authorities. So really the risk assessment almost becomes a resource assessment as well. Absolutely. I want to take you back to vendor management, Nathan. You know, this has clearly been part of the, the guidance for years now, and yet we see the OCC, the FDIC, the NCUA coming out with additional bulletins on this, and it just raises the question, why can't banking institutions do vendor management to the satisfaction of their regulators? I think there's a couple of different um, factors that are in play with vendor management. Um, the first of which is, Initially, when um, a lot of the institutions that we worked with um, started trying to get their arms around vendor management, they went out, and, and, and this almost has to be the starting point, to, and identified all the vendors that they had. They, but they did a poor job on risk ranking the vendors. They essentially almost took the step of treating them all equally. Well, not all, all, all an institution's vendors are, are equal. I mean, the information that they have access, the, um, what the functions that they perform for the institution are different. All those things uh, make it so that they should treat those vendors in significantly different ways, and the amount of effort that they put on the vendors um, should be significantly different. And the regulators kind of did notice this. And typically what was happening is the very important and very key vendors and vendors with access to um, critical information and customer-sensitive information were being treated the same as, as insignificant um, vendors. And probably those vendors were not being looked at as often as they probably should have been or the regulators would have liked them to have been. And probably the vendors on the lower end were being looked at more frequently. And the regulators are never going to, well, I shouldn't say I never because as soon as I say that, they'll they'll say something about it. But <laughs> the, rarely do regulators say that you're, you're doing something too frequently. So they're not really going to complain about you looking at a low-risk vendor more frequently than they they want you to, but they will comment on if you, they don't think you're looking at a higher risk vendor as often as they would like. So the emphasis has always been on doing more, doing more, versus the risk-based approach of 
okay, we can cut back some on these on these lower risk vendors, but we do need to pay more attention to the higher risk vendors and being able to support that. And I think that is really what one of the things that has driven the regulators in this particular area is, is really saying you really need to pay more attention to these very critical vendors. And maybe once a year isn't enough to be evaluating them because they are so critical to your organization. That being said, and another factor that's kind of driving the regulators is, and this has been occurring for for years now, but is increasing increasing reliance upon vendors that aren't necessarily in the United States or maybe subcontracting with um, vendors that are outside the United States as well, and oftentimes without the institution's knowledge. If you have a contract with a major um, service provider or vendor, you may not even know who else they're doing business with or have it within the contract that they have to let you know. That poses the risk of the, all the various different international laws and what what is protected and what isn't protected in various areas throughout the country, or throughout the country, throughout the world. Um, so the regulators have taken notice of that. Um, it is a factor in that the requirements of Ramleach Bliley may not necessarily be the same requirements of wherever the information ends up. And so it's up to the bank to make sure that that's enforceable through the contracts and also that they're aware of um, exactly where the information is going. So you spend a lot of time with institutions. Are you starting to see some progress in vendor management? We're actually starting to see some um, significant improvements in what we're seeing with vendor management. Um, Once we get them to understand that it really is a risk-based approach um, and that the requirement is on um, the high-risk vendors, um, essentially um, a reevaluation once a year. Um, but that if it's important enough, it makes sense to do it more often. And, and if they're doing that on the most critical vendors, they can justify cutting back on other ones. But they but they really need to be able to show that they're not just using the annually annual review as kind of their benchmark, but they're really putting thought into the process. That makes sense. Risk-based is the term I keep hearing over and over. It's sort of the buzz term of the year, and it's really getting a lot of cachet out there, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But I think there's a lot of value to it, especially um, given the economic times. Um, And risk-based, I mean, everybody's using that term, but I think it's all about supporting what you're doing, Um, showing that you're paying attention to areas that you have greater exposure and, and spending your limited resources on those particular areas and cutting back on other areas and, and being able to show that that isn't, isn't exposing the institution to a great deal of, um, well, financial risk is one thing, but also the customers and their information isn't getting exposed by cutting back in certain areas as well. It's not just all about um, financial exposure to the institution because a lot of it comes down to protecting the consumers and, and trying to put a price tag on that is very difficult, um, but it's also very important. That makes sense. Nathan, one final question for you. I want to think in terms of somebody that might be coming into a banking security career and being handed you know, the task of, of maintaining GLBA compliance. If you could give advice to someone taking over that role, you know, where should they begin? The very, very first thing that they need to be aware of is it has to come from the top of the organization. And if they're coming in um, and the organization is looking at it as just an IT issue or just an IT problem, that they need to uh, educate the organization and get it pushed up, then 
they also need to, and I'm going to use the term again, the risk-based approach, focus on where their true risks are. Um, otherwise, this, this quickly will become something that's too large for the organization because you can, quite frankly, spend as much money as you want to on controls and trying to control risk. And, you know, if you spend a billion dollars to control risk, yeah, you're probably going to not have any any security incidents or any compromises of information and or anything like that, but also you're going to quickly be out of business. So it's important to, to um, establish a risk threshold for the organization and what they're willing to accept as far as risk and, and manage the program around that. And then it becomes down to really doing a good job of quantifying the different uh, um, that the, the different threats that are out there to the organization and identifying what controls are already there that will mitigate those risks. So it, it truly comes down to saying, okay, here's a level we're shooting for, and where are we above this and where are we below this, identifying those gaps and bringing things up, bringing things up to that level, but also are there places where we can be more efficient? Makes sense. Nathan, I appreciate your time and your insights today. It's been, been very valuable, and I'm, I'm sure the audience will enjoy. Thank you very much. We've been talking with Nathan Johns of Crow Chizik and Company. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.